Hey, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm your host, Yara Minova, and we are back here with Alina Vasilake, the podcast clinical psychologist, and our discussion today will be on understanding your anxiety and how to manage it. We will touch upon some of the most common anxiety problems like generalized anxiety, social anxiety, and we'll also talk about people who suffer from it and how they can cope with it. I hope you find this episode useful and well, let's get started. Hey, Alina, thank you so much for being here again today. Hello, everybody. So happy to be here as always. So anxiety is considered to be one of the highest economic burden rates in the world with studies showing that one in four or one in three people globally suffer from some form of anxiety disorder. Alina, what do you think is happening here? Is it that the phenomena of anxiety and our understanding of it is more recognized today, so the reporting is higher, or do you think it is something to do with the way that we are living? Yes, yeah, so I'm very happy that um, you brought up this uh, topic of anxiety because it's such an important one in psychology and uh, day-to-day life. Um, so your question... Both, I think. I think um, the good news is that people um, are more and more aware of uh, anxiety as being uh, an issue and uh, as uh, being a psychological difficulty that can be treated and of the fact that they can get help. So more and more people do go uh, to see a professional when they struggle with anxiety. And of course, because of that, we will see an increase in the numbers. But also, I do believe that we are living in a society for which we are not biologically and neurologically prepared. So we are for sure not born with the, I don't know, ability to drive every day on, a, you know, a traffic of mm-hmm. anxiety. Or I'm sure we are not prepared to work jobs mm-hmm. that put so much pressure on us. And uh, we, we just reached a level in our, uh, in the complexity of our lifestyle for which we are simply not prepared biologically, neurologically, psychologically. Life should be easier somehow um, if we think about uh, about it in this way. So I believe that um, the more uh, you know, the more life uh, advances and becomes more complex, and mm-hmm. um, the more we will struggle with anxiety. I absolutely couldn't agree more. You said it so beautifully. We definitely are getting our society is getting more complex in the way we live and there's much more pressures than what we're evolutionary able to handle so i definitely agree with you on that aspect and, uh, and sorry now, just to, to mm-hmm. add here of Please. course there are differences depending on the lifestyle depending on where we live uh, and that's why some people mm-hmm. that live in a city environment they're more stressed and they experience more anxiety than people that maybe are in a you know, other areas where the rhythm of life is, is easier and also depends on um, the unmet needs, right? So a person, I don't know, in Africa, uh, what will give them anxiety will be uh, finding food for their family and for a person living in UAE might be uh, achieving a promotion in their career and, you know, in their uh, job. So, um Again, there will be huge differences depending on the context um, and the complexity of each person's life. 
Yeah, it is very personal to every individual, right? It's not a one-size-fits-all type of uh, situation, but it definitely on a global scale, I do agree with what you said that we are, you know, be facing much more pressures, at least generally in the Western world, for sure. Now, anxiety can be experienced both mentally and physically, right? Yes. What happens in your body when you experience anxiety and what do you view anxiety to be? And I think this is especially important for people who don't experience anxiety to understand, to perhaps be able to see what people that do go through it um, experience. Mm. Um, I always like to, to tell my uh, people in the, in the consultation um, that anxiety can give you basically any type of reaction, physiological reaction in your body, uh, to the extent that I've seen all type of, um, you know, reactions I've seen. I think the, the one that shocked me as a psychologist the most was a gentleman that, um, his biggest fear was to lose his job and eventually got fired. And he came in the middle of my sessions in a crisis moment. And I, um, I've seen him the previous day, right? So from one day to another, he came mm -hmm. back with white hair. Literally, his hair had huge patches of, of white hair. So I always use this example because it obviously it stayed with me. But um, I, uh, I like to teach people that anxiety has such a, a significant impact on our body that it can give us any, absolutely any physiological reaction. Definitely the digestive system is the most affected one and the most common um, physiological reaction or side effect of anxiety, um, similar to back pain and tension in muscles and headaches. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we can go to any type of symptoms that can be easily explained by um, anxiety. And that's why I believe that we're still facing this, I can say, mistake in the whole medical field because a lot of the times um, other doctors forget to ask this question. How are you doing with your stress levels? Mm -hmm. How stressed are you in your life? Is there anything that's giving you tension? Uh, or for how long you've been under this tension, the tension of your job or the tension of your marriage or the tension of whatever is going on? So just that simple question to evaluate a little bit if mm -hmm. the anxiety uh, is present or the level of anxiety uh, is significant in that person or patient's life, because that can really explain a lot of symptoms. Um, so definitely physiologically, huge impact on our body. Um, and of course, we can talk about short-term side effects of anxiety. We can talk about uh, mid-long-term, and we can talk about the deep long-term effects such as uh, low immune systems, such as serious diseases and uh, yeah, um, conditions that are quite they can even be chronic. Um, and then mentally, definitely, we spoke about this a little bit in our episode about cognitive distortions. Um, and there are a lot of, um, you know, thinking patterns that will lead to anxiety, uh, but they can also uh, somehow maintain that anxiety. Okay, so they create that vicious cycle where the person just, uh, you know, keeps staying and building up more and more anxiety. Yeah, and I I I honestly yeah. believe that most of the people on this planet they will experience anxiety in their life. Very very few that are so lucky not to know what anxiety is. 
Absolutely. Um, a lot of patients, they've been struggling or fighting with anxiety their whole life and they didn't even know about it or they did well until a certain point in their life. Um, most of people come, uh, you know, uh, in their 30s, 40s, and when we look back, we realize that, oh, I, I was actually an anxious child uh, and mm -hmm. I remember this and I remember that. So, But until that point where maybe they reach a, a clinically significant level of anxiety in their life where most of the time the body already stops them and sends them to a psychologist. Um, mm. They didn't even realize that anxiety is present. So I'm saying that most of the people will experience anxiety, just that there are different levels and uh, different uh, experiences. Yeah, it's always that threshold, right? Um, kind of the difference of being anxious or having severe levels of anxiety. So it's that um, distinction between how badly it impacts one's life. But I also want to thank you for bringing up previously about how medical doctors, I think both, um, you know, body doctors, physical doctors, but also like clinicians, uh, don't always take the bigger picture when, you know, looking at things like depression and anxiety, you know, a pill is always the first thing that especially a psychiatrist, we both know that pill will be the first thing that's prescribed rather than asking, are you stressed or what happened in your life, etc. So I think this is very important that we need to look at the experience of an individual, especially in anxiety as a whole of like what is happening in their life that's creating this and whether it was chronic even, yeah. right? But you know, you mentioned the symptoms now of anxiety, which you just said that were bodily reactions or they were mental, but we also know that anxiety can be experienced by different types of anxiety, which again kind of goes back to how different people react or experience it differently. What are some of the most common types of anxiety that people face? Well, um, generalized anxiety. A lot of people and generalized anxiety is, um, you know, imagine it as an umbrella. And under the umbrella of generalized anxiety, we can always have uh, specific types of anxiety, such as social anxiety, health anxiety, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so mm -hmm. we have uh, phobias, specific phobias. Um, so then, um, Mostly, in most cases, a person will come with a specific type of anxiety. So let's say health anxiety, but then we look into the case and we realize that actually the person has generalized anxiety. Uh, hmm. So as you said, it's very personalized and each case is different. Um, and it all goes back to somehow the... The, the patient or the person has reached that place where the anxiety has become maladaptive and has an impact, a serious impact in their life. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about social anxiety, as I think that's an important one. Is it essentially about being uncomfortable with who you are or other people making you uncomfortable? Because very interestingly, I realized as your self-confidence and love towards yourself goes up, your anxiety goes down. Is there, I don't know if you've noticed, if there's a correlation with those two or 
what do you think is kind of at the core of social anxiety? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely at the core of social anxiety will be a negative self-concept or a core mm-hmm. negative belief about ourselves. Um, but it can also be negative experiences in life. So let's say I have a person that uh, in school they were bullied, maybe previously uh, they did not have any any negative life event or any uh, negative uh, self-concept, but something happens in, in school or they go through a certain experience where they're marginalized or they're bullied or they are criticized, and from there it spirals into um, social anxiety. But it can also be simply the fact that I am shy since I'm a child and insecure and very withdrawn and then uh, because of that I don't have enough exposure to people to social interaction so I'm always scared of this part and uh, that lack of exposure it will affect my social skills obviously will reduce those social skills because social skills are learned and they are maintained if we have that experience um, in interacting with Mm -hmm. other people Um, and then because of that, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm not good with people. So I'm not good at talking. I'm not good at uh, um, maintaining relationships or making the chit-chat. Um, it can also be that, so different explanations. Uh, at the end mm. of the day, what it is, is definitely linked to a negative self-concept, negative view about uh, myself, let's say, the person that suffers from social anxiety, um, together with the fear of being rejected, being criticized, being not liked, um, and always their concern is I will be rejected, I, I, I won't be liked, mm-hmm. they will not like me. So then because they're so focused on creating a good impression, actually, they tend to what? They tend mm. to do to follow the order of anxiety, which is to avoid. But the more they avoid, less experiences with people they will have. So then they'll confirm again, I'm not good. I'm not good with people. This is not my thing. So then they stay far from those interactions. Okay. So again, they go into that vicious cycle, which we break in therapy. So um, yeah, definitely they're they're connected and they're present. Yes. Yeah. So in in line with that, what are your thoughts then on exposure therapy? Uh, because you did mention about the more you, retri- you know, retaliate and you hold yourself back, the worse it will become. But I feel like exposure therapy can be applied to social anxiety, but also different anxieties. Like as a germaphobe, I know you, you and me did exposure therapy on that. So what are your thoughts in general for um, exposure therapy for anxiety or people who are anxious about certain things? Yeah, exposure is an essential part of the therapy, an essential part of uh, working uh, against anxiety. Um, So in reality, we cannot reduce the anxiety if we don't expose ourselves in the right uh, manner uh, to what scares us, Yeah, to what it is that... uh, object of the anxiety. So again, back to the basics, the anxiety, not all of it is bad. Okay. So there's a part of the, you know, the anxiety that's adaptive because it kind of indicates to us what can be a danger uh, in life. But then when it reaches a place or a level where already has a huge impact, it stops me. It actually um, interferes with my life or the things that I decide I would like to do. Then obviously, it has reached a 
significantly clinically significant level. So at that point, the weapon of the anxiety is basically these orders, these three orders that will come from the anxiety. Avoid, escape, mm -hmm. or safety signals. Okay? So the exposure, we call it progressive exposure, we use it in order to go against these weapons that the anxiety has. I'm explaining it in a very simple way so people that uh, mm -hmm. have no, um, you know, again, no exposure with the therapy, they'll understand a little mm -hmm. bit. So if my fear is telling me avoid, avoid going to um, meet people, um, in therapy, we will kind of guide the person to expose themselves to go against that avoidance, that order of avoidance, and to expose themselves progressively in a very calculated and very soft manner to the stimulus that is giving them um, that fear. Right. It's very interesting. So exposure is an essential part of the intervention with anxiety. Whatever the anxiety is, let's say that the anxiety is not social, mm. is... Um, well, is health anxiety. Yeah. In health anxiety, what they normally do, they use a lot of safety signals. The safety signal can be, I, I rush quickly to the doctor. And if I see the doctor and the doctor says that I'm okay and nothing is wrong, then I will calm down. That is, yeah. uh, that becomes a checking behavior or a safety signal, basically. We teach them to expose themselves to the symptoms of anxiety without going for those safety signals. It's also a part of, exposure or a variation of that exposure. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, as we're talking, people can be anxious about many different things okay. like heights or like you said, health. And for others, it can be things like crowds. Is there a theme that lies behind people with these different forms of anxieties? I know we said that anxiety is inevitable, right? It's, it's a part of life, but what is kind of at the root cause of these like really deeply ingrained types of anxieties where it actually impacts the daily life of a person? Difficult to answer this question because as I said before, mm. it's very, very personal. So each case, it's a complete different story. You do have to work in identifying the origins of the anxiety, um, but um, it can go back to, um, again, anxiety means the brain takes that, Whatever it is, is it health, is it social interaction, is it germs, is it uh, symptoms of my body, is it uh, heights, as you say, is it a specific place, is it a specific animal, mm -hmm. whatever it is. But that thing, my brain understands that is very dangerous. And my brain will react to it as if it's a question of, um, you know, dying and leaving. So somehow it can be in, in the in the life history of a of a patient you'll or of a person that suffers from anxiety you'll definitely see some uh, we can come from messages models they've received in childhood life events that have to do with that or um, it can easily be news let's say I have a person that has a phobia of flying I remember a case of flying exactly. it never happened anything. But he was exposed to, uh, he had to, actually, he was a journalist or something like that, and he had to do himself a, 
um, you know, an article about one of these accidents and crashes that happened in the past. So then he had to research a lot and get a lot of information on that tragedy. And from that point, he started developing fear of flying. Of course, from that point, his fear was telling him avoid, better to avoid, better to stay safe. So avoid, don't go, don't go. The less he got himself on a plane, more fear yeah. of flying, right? Yeah, it is interesting. Um, like you said, when, when you mentioned about biologically, I guess biologically it's cortisol, right? That works, that essentially cortisol is good for us when it tr it triggers that we're in danger, but it becomes a problem where we're not really in danger. And I guess those are kind of the anxiety symptoms that do come through. But it's interesting because it's what you mentioned about, it's not always from childhood because people who are afraid of crowds or heights or planes, you know, they, they never were taught that, but it's probably something that they learned from, like you said, either movies or maybe they saw other people being, so essentially all our fears and anxieties are learned, which is so interesting when, if you think about it. Yes. Most of, most of them are learned. Um, but again, what uh, is very important connected to childhood, not necessarily negative uh, experiences, life experiences in childhood, but uh, it can also be simply messages from our parents or from important figures of attachment that um, mm -hmm. the world or life is not safe. So if, let's say, my mom, every time I... Um, walked out of the door to go and play outside, she would tell me, be careful, be careful, please be careful. Mm. Instead of telling me, have fun, okay, enjoy your mm. friends. Um, of course, I'll get, what's the message that I'm getting there? Just by seeing or getting the concern uh, on my mom's of face course. or in her emotion or in her, <laughs> in the energy. Fear and worry. Exactly. She's sending me mm. a message of life or the world is not safe. So always be vigilant. Okay, so that's the base. If on top of that, something happens in life that I'm, you know, I'm going through an event that scared me, then more I'll channel that anxiety in that direction, right? Let's say I Absolutely. will have a stroke at one point. I don't die, but I'll have a stroke. For sure, I'll most likely develop health anxiety after that. If I have that combination between parents that in childhood gave me the message of always be careful, always be careful, you're never safe, plus... One of these life events, and it can be not just one, it can be several life events that will take me into building up a fear, I will develop um, one of these subtype, uh, subtypes of anxiety. Yeah, it's, it's kind of what I'm kind of getting from all this is that if it has to be done the opposite. So the more, let's say, for example, the more we're afraid of social you know, connections, the more we're afraid of germs, the more we're afraid of this. And the more we enhance that, it, it will just keep getting worse and worse. And it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If we believe something, then it just gets more and more enhanced. So really the trick is just to break that. It's basically conditioning. So just to uncondition that learning. Yes. I want to think about... Yes, sorry to yes, interrupt. Sorry. Uh, I laugh because a lot of the Absolutely. times uh, I talk to my people and I tell them, it's as simple as doing the opposite exactly what you said. So mm -hmm. uh, the key mm -hmm. and the solution in, let's say, 80% of the cases um, is to do the opposite than what you've been doing. Yeah. And the problem gets 
solved, but it gets solved also progressively. It will not get solved only because one time you've done the opposite. Let's say social anxiety. So I feel very scared to go and meet people. But I will, and, and in general, I avoid. I avoid, I avoid, I try to find excuses, and my brain becomes an expert at giving me the excuses why not to go. All right, but one time I'll say, right, I will do the opposite. I'm doing the opposite, but then I'm experiencing mm-hmm. significant symptoms in my body that are very uncomfortable, right? And then I will say, oh, no way, I will do this again. This was horrible, horrible experience. So definitely the exposure is the key. And doing the opposite than what I've been doing until now, which was avoidance, is the key. But it will not give me a, an immediate um, improvement or an immediate result. So then the people stay with what they know. They go back to what's familiar to them or what feels safe. Um, And that's how we work in therapy. We make them see, go on top of that, what's familiar and what's safe. Uh, But we, it's very, very important information needs to be done progressively. So I do not move a person from one exposure to another until I've managed to reduce the symptoms of anxiety until you, I tell a person, okay, if you have social anxiety and the first step is for you to go to the shop next door and just buy chewing gum, that's what we're doing. And we will do it again and again and again until you experience zero anxiety by doing so. Yeah. You don't move to yeah. another step of exposure until we've achieved this. And that's how we build up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Kind of um, nearly, nearly at the end of the episode, but I do want to, I do want to also note, I do want to also note that, Sometimes people don't know where their anxieties come from. And this is one thing which I think is a little bit more problematic because a person like me, I I know I'm a germaphobe and this gives me anxiety, but sometimes I talk to people who would be sitting and they say, oh, all of a sudden my anxiety just kicked in or, you know, they, they feel anxious in the middle of the day out of nowhere or a panic attack hits. I think possibly an important question, what are kind of the tips or ways we can heal or overcome our anxiety other than um other than exposure therapy but both of these type of ther- uh, both of these types of anxieties the anxieties that we are aware of that we know this is the thing that gives me anxieties but also you know those anxieties that come out of nowhere which personally for me I believe isn't out of nowhere there's you know a deeper probably a long term um, stress that has been imposing on a person, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Well, you've answered the question already. <laughs> um, I always teach my people as n- there's never such thing as out of nowhere. An emotion will always be triggered by something. Mm-hmm. And the brain, our brain doesn't like not to know things. So, um, People also, through therapy and working on themselves, they always learn how to understand their own triggers. It makes such a big difference if, let's say, I have an emotional experience, being anxiety, being sadness, being uh, anger, whatever the negative emotion is. But if I understand what triggered it, it's so much, so much easier to deal with that wave of negative emotion. Um, Simply because then it's not unknown and then it's not something that um, somehow says that there's something wrong with me Um, it's just Mm -hmm. there's an explanation so our brain already comes down by default when it has an explanation Um, so people learn people learn through therapy that there's always a reason 
sometimes that reason mm-hmm. can be you know an accumulation uh, but uh, you'll always find um, cues in your environment in your day in your you know mm-hmm. the succession of the things that happen you'll always figure it out you'll understand at one point and um, curious enough is not that hard because a lot of the people come to the consultation and they say, I have no idea. Everything was fine. Nothing was going wrong. It just happened yes. out of the blue. And then when we analyze things, we realize that this out of the blue in general are a few triggers that tend to be very repetitive. They kind of tend to be the same mm. thing. It's just that the person is not aware because life is so complex and it takes us, you know, we just go with it. And we don't uh, have time to pay attention or we don't have the knowledge or the guidance um, to do so. Yeah. Awareness really is everything, isn't it? Yeah, everything starts there. It, uh, we solve a problem just by understanding it um, sometimes. Yeah. Alina, as a final two questions, because I know we're short on time, I want to ask firstly, what are like maybe three or five tips you can give to someone who is dealing with anxiety, whether that's things like physical things that can be immediate to soothe the anxiety or mental ones. And the second one would be, what would you say to people who has a friend or a partner or a family member who is suffering from anxiety? So what would someone who has a loved one who's suffering from anxiety can do in a situation when, you know, their loved one is going through either a panic attack or going through an extremely anxious uh, setting? Mm-hmm. Um, the few tips... Well, physical exercise helps a great deal. So I defense. Okay. So a few tips, um, definitely would be go for therapy. If you're experiencing anxiety, um, I would say physical activity is a very, very useful tool because again, mm-hmm. anxiety means an accumulation of neuroadrenaline in our body and, uh, our brain doesn't know what to do with that. So it's very helpful. Any 20 minutes of any type of movement, will always help. But also there are people that will uh, find um, relief from the anxiety through relaxation techniques. Not everybody is the same. So you need to figure out which one works best for you. Definitely learning how not to accumulate stress and tension and to to regulate well um, your schedule. Um, and your second question was... Um, what a family member or loved one can do to help. Okay, in a moment of intense mm-hmm. anxiety, I imagine, uh, for, for sure, it would be yes. giving the advice or the support to go towards the therapy. But let's say in a critical moment, the person that it is next um, needs to keep calm. Yeah? Because a person that's experiencing anxiety, whatever that anxiety is, is fear. And mm-hmm. if I am next to a person that's experiencing fear, the number one emotional basic need they have is to hear calmness, to hear that everything is okay. And they need to feel mm-hmm. that you are calm next to them. Okay? So if you're not experiencing that anxiety, just make sure to send that energy across of everything is fine, we're good, we'll push through. So if they send that strong message of calmness, that's the the number one thing to do in this crisis moments. Okay. Alina, that was amazing. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for your time in general. You were wonderful as always. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode.
Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here. And I'm hoping that uh, episode by episode, we are breaking the stigma more and more. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to connecting with you again next week.